Why, hello there, Mac. Yo, hello, Jonah. What's up? What's going on? Um, we're back. We are. Well, you're not only are you back, but you're back in New York. weren't you just at a? Uh, I was at a little. Shindig? I was at a function. Yeah, uh, I had some ministerial duties to perform, um, but now I'm home. I'm back in my home turf. Um, uh, getting everyone back in line. So you you actually he says ministerial duties. You actually married your brother yeah. and his his wife now. I did do that. Yeah, I That's did. That's crazy. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was lovely. Yeah, I got my they did it. They did the thing. Shouts out Jake and Dana, the happy couple. Um so can you marry like anybody now? Is that uh, yeah. you're an adorned minister? Is that what's called? I'm an ordained minister. Ordained. Adorned. So yeah, you can <laughs> I and I am, you know, I'm I could have consider adorning myself with uh, a <laughs> you know, various maybe feathers or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, so that was cool. I had a nice, I, yeah, I had a cool weekend, but you know, I have to put all that, all that joy and, uh, life affirming, um, you know, uh, jouissance that that's all going away. I'm locking that in the box Nice. and I'm getting back into my future as our mindset. Oh yeah. Um, cause there's a, you know, there's a lot of, uh, tomfoolery at foot yeah while you were gone there was no shortage of uh no shortage of the news the news is ongoing and you know on that point you know today is uh april we're recording it on uh april 20th oh shit 420 um for all you blazers out there but uh light him up light him if you got him Smoke yeah if you sure see if you must i'm just such a um, bad stoner i said light him if you got him i know um, yeah they're outed honestly my position is that uh well never mind but um <laughs> yeah I, I just this afternoon uh you know there was we talk a lot about like policing and uh the power the you know the uh un inexorable power of the state to sort of crush us like little bugs and there was an interesting development today in that Derek Chauvin the officer who killed George Floyd setting off that whole, a whole summer of protests and a sort of new reckoning um with policing and racism in this country was convicted of murder uh I think second degree murder and involuntary no, I believe it was second it was degree. Second? Yeah, he got second degree involuntary murder oh, wow. was the actual charge. And then um, manslaughter as well. And then a third charge, as um, which the specifics of which escaped me. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of crazy. I mean, this isn't really... I mean, I guess one of the technological aspects of this is that, you know, as you pointed out earlier, like one of the first police killings in a while to just be sort of captured on film in HD at length, right. you know, like, and because it, it was a slow motion execution. I mean, obviously for me, this is like uh, the, the bare minimum um, outcome in terms of r- reaching justice. You know, I would like to th- obviously see much more systemic changes um, brought to bear to really redress the crime that was committed, but, you know, obviously putting this cop in, in jail for what, I mean, everyone sort of was able to see for themselves, um, seemed to be a pretty cold blooded murder, um, is good, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that he's like one of the first cops to really go down in, in, in pretty spectacular and like unequivocal fashion for, for something like this. And it was because of this video that became like, really ubiquitous 
Right. I didn't. So I didn't follow the trial too much, but I did hear like some of the like the the snippets of audio and like other analysis, and like it was interesting that obviously this. I think the trial was like two weeks or something more than that, and essentially the the the, the prosecutors obviously they went through a lot of material, but the through line that they told at the beginning and at the end was that like we're going to give you all this information but really all you need is the video, is the video. and like that Just should be look that, at, like that trust is your eyes, that yeah. is it um and you know like it's a compelling argument um famously though like you know rodney king was one of the first like you know this is sort of like an interesting coda to the rodney king um beating um that was like a really big trial and uh, sort of flashpoint, which I believe was that thirty years ago, like to this year, because was that nineteen ninety one? I know it was the early nineties. I don't know the exact date. Um, we'll do a number crunch on that, but um, yeah, I mean that was uh, yeah, it was it was nineteen ninety ninety one, March third. Um, so thirty years ago, basically, um, exactly, you had this guy getting swarm beaten, this poor this black dude on it on it led some cops on like a on a chase got ripped out of his car and swarm beaten by officers and then they showed the video at his trial and he was and the cops were all acquitted right which is an interesting thing because it just shows that like you know a video is not can show like this many people can see the same video and see different things um but you know this time i think everyone clearly saw what happened in in a, in i don't know a more unanimous way yeah i don't really know um i don't want to well yeah go ahead no i mean the only thing i was gonna add to i don't have much to say but i remember this was i heard this a couple weeks ago and i thought it was interesting because like like any any case right it's like there was um there was a question whether it was going to go to trial at all or whether it would be like a plea deal and i don't think a cop is on trial for murder is going to plea out well it was it was on the table from what i understand yeah i'm not surprised and like but one thing that resonated was that I think for like for because this is something that's like the public is grappling with as much as like you know the family and like and the the police officer are is that like I think you there's a arguments we had that like this needed to happen like in public because otherwise right. there would be no sort of closure or like no sort of reconciliation at all um, I think the notion yeah the presiding notion that like why there isn't normally co- cameras in courtrooms that like oh the public like won't be able to make heads or tails of it because it's just like too complex and like a jury's role is different from just like you know there's like a lot of specific you know reasonable doubt and very specific parameters of the case and like some evidence is admissible some isn't i don't know i mean i think this sort of puts the lie to that a bit that like you know uh, and I've heard this said. I mean, I'm not optimistic that this is going to become make a sea change in like fixing our fucked up criminal justice system. But I do think that like more transparency is <laughs> is in order, um, and certainly not a bad thing. Um, I don't know. In any case, we have a lot to talk about, so we can keep going. But I mean, I'm I, I feel like this is a fucking small piece of good news that I, I will gladly take, um, as far as I'm concerned. But uh. Yeah, well, let, let's 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 charge ahead. Get back into some regularly scheduled programming. Talk about something that happened in my hometown. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. What what, 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 what will you tell me what that is, man? Yeah, so this is. I think we're recording on um, the twenty first, twentieth, and 20th. two days ago, um, there was a big car crash that made 
news that was in it was between the woodlands and spring texas outside of houston and yeah, involved a bit of a fender bender. yeah a bit of a fender bender got a little toasty uh, i shouldn't say it. it's fucked up <laughs> yeah, um yeah. but but basically lay it out is like um two people were in a tesla and they swerved off the road and hit a tree and died and the car caught on fire but when the police and the coroner's office came they determined that there wasn't anybody to hyperability driving the car right they said there was someone in the passenger seat and the back which they the the idea right now that they're still investigating but was that the car was on its uh tesla's autopilot feature which is rolled out to some teslas and that um essentially it fucked up went off the road somehow crashed and then the people died and like there was a fire like the lithium ion battery in the tesla caught fire which happens when they crash and like the fire went on for four hours before they could like put it out yeah uh i mean teslas do have a have an illustrious track record of bursting into flames um so you definitely don't want to be inside of one when that happens but i guess like the crux of this is i mean this is like the first high profile there was the death of that person who got hit by a car hit by a self by a tesla i think there's been three deaths attributed if this does end up being attributed to the autonomous pilot mode there's this would have been the third tesla death there was also a couple uber uh, self-driving car deaths right which Um, were mostly but those were all like pedestrians getting hit right i believe the uber one was yeah but there there was was, there was i think one other tesla one where it was the driver that died oh interesting um in any case yeah i mean so this is a bit of an interesting thing and i guess this is something that was always going to happen if these if these are going to become the new thing the new norm the status quo like you're going to have accidents still i mean it's not a it's not a panacea to our like national pastime of dying in car accidents um but um according to the new york times uh, like you know the the police say according from uh you know crash investigating the crash scene and eyewitness testimony that there was no one driving the vehicle at the time of the crash um and no one even in the driver's seat so you know it's a yeah i mean right this is what you were just saying mac i'm reading from the new york times quote it took four hours to put out a fire that normally would have taken a matter of minutes constable herman said adding that it took more than thirty thousand gallons of water to extinguish the fire i mean that's another point that's like yes the self-driving car self-driving autopilot mode may it seems have fucked up and thrown these people off the road and incinerated them but it's also like these cars are like you know they're like lithium ion batteries that just they're like white thermite like ready to go at any time so it's like you know your average car crash has the potential to be a lot more deadly well this is something that's not brought up in any of the stories that i've seen and maybe it's for the best because it's just gruesome but like what i was wondering was like were the bodies taken out before this or were they just like burning no i'm the sure they time, were in, in center you know? i'm sure they were which burnt. is like that's just a horror fucking story well yeah it's know? obviously horrible i mean granted no regular old car crashes often produce some pretty horrific results uh um, yeah i mean i think anyone who's seen one or, or you know looked into like what or even seen you know <laughs> fight club can tell you yeah. uh you know, it doesn't take much to get your braces wrapped around the shifter. Yeah, I have to say um, though, because like I've I written about like self-driving, well, just Teslas in general and EVs for a while is like they I always get this shit from people if you write it when there's a crash and it's like it is like statistically they say it's like these especially Teslas but also EVs in general are like safer generally than 
combustion engine yeah. cars, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it does the fire things are is an issue, right? Yeah, especially when you pair it with the um, you know, Musk's and new uh, earth-shattering innovation of a very tiny tunnel that one <laughs> car can go in at a time and is about six feet by f- six feet. Yeah. So when your Tesla does burst into flames inside, you're like, yeah, you're cooked like a sweet potato and tinfoil. <laughs> well, speaking um, of Musk, he was not silent about this. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, go into what, yeah, he was like, oh, no, it wasn't. He was trying to say it was it wasn't it couldn't have been autopilot. So this was about it. Like I think it was the same day late, but or maybe the next day. But he um, posted on he posted on Twitter um, saying that they so the driverless car feature. It's not like a f- for what's worth the technicals is like the the Tesla driverless car. It's not fully autonomous, but right. it's a package that's like you can buy as a standalone extra thing that makes it like semi-autonomous and te- and Musk claims that this car never had that and he went on to say that it would be impossible that this car there wasn't a driver in it uh which goes against what the I guess is HPD was claiming um so and now there's like there's a big investigation like all the big federal like dr- like whatever the driving agencies are looking into it highway shit and so it this is like an ongoing thing right and it's why it's important is because we talked about this off mic but um tesla the company has been pretty cautious about like telling people okay if you have this like you have to have your you have to be driving it still you have to have your be alert have your hand on the steering wheel they, they claim it's not actually autonomous but then musk is really bullish about the fact that like like he'll take photos and videos of himself not with his hands on the steering wheel he'll go on like joe rogan's podcast and say that like oh yeah autonomous vehicles are like right around the corner yeah because he's like a his whole point his whole function is to just sort of do be a carnival barker and like drive hype around tesla to you know inflated stock price yeah and, and you know and just in general public profile but um it's not really cool or sexy to be like um, yeah, they have drive. They have like steering assist that right. you have to legally have your hand on the wheel every five seconds and sit in the driver's Which, seat. Which like and a lot at, of other car bunch of other cars have, do, and that's why know? I think like Tesla in general is like, you know, a lot of people have pointed this out or, or think that it's you know stock price for one is inflated because sure. all of these other major car companies are like about are eating up all of its lead in terms of ev innovation you know what i mean and 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 they make a lot more cars and put a lot more on the road yeah i mean i will say like i do i do like there's some parts of elon musk i do i do think are interesting and worthy of like dissecting but the to the carnival barker thing like for example like amongst many i mean he just is he got in like in 2019 i was just reading to say that like in 2019 he claimed that by the end of 2020 there'd be a million tesla robo taxis on the streets like that you could order with a phone in the u.s and obviously it's bullshit right yeah but it's just like that's that's just like legal stock manipulation he can do basically (laughs) well it's the same reason why he can like say tweet a word about a stock and it it just rises like it it, yeah because of all his like reddit legions he also famously said that like um i think in april of last year said that like based uh based on current uh trends it's looking to me like um, there will be no COVID cases in the U.S. Really? by like the middle of summer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That. Yeah, it's funny. But I don't know. This is interesting. I mean, we're going to see a lot more of this. It'll be curious to see, I mean, you know, what the autopilot thing is. I'm inclined to believe that, you know, people who were at the scene of the crash and made their own assessment 
i.e. the cops, I guess, in this situation, rather than Elon Musk, who has a pretty transparent vested interest in not having this be a, a, a catastrophic malfunction of the autopilot system that, you know, his entire company is sort of predicated on. Right. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, I, well, I just like to what you said at the beginning, though, take Elon Musk and Tesla out of the equation, though. In general, I do think that we're going to have to have like a kind of another conversation at some point about like if we really do think that like autonomous vehicles are like what we want to do as like a society or like whatever, there's going to be people that fucking die. Of you course. Know? And like we're going to have to figure out like what, how, what is like the right amount of risk and shit. And I don't think we really were there yet. One, we shouldn't be there yet because it's so early, but like eventually we're going to have to start figuring that out, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. And interestingly, yeah, there was the other one was in 2016 where the guy got decapitated because right. his Tesla didn't break and right. it, it drove like under a tractor trailer and just chopped his head off. Um, so yeah, I mean, granted, but yeah, that's th- what that's three deaths compared to the like 30,000 of sure. other people who are just, you know, crash their own cars. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at that compared to like, sure. even now, I'm sure it's much lower than like other of course it is deaths. but you know nonetheless i mean it's just like you know i don't know this you should still point it out like i, th- I think it's it's right to point it out right yeah so anyway you know if you're a uh, buckle your buckle your seatbelt if you're hopping in your tesla roadster um in the near future and don't and stay in the fucking driver's seat and definitely know? stay in the driver's seat although you know what's what's the fun in that i mean <laughs> why would you what's the fun of a self-driving car you have to sit, sit in the driver's seat um whatever though uh what's going on elsewise um anything else we want to hit on i mean well here's what i say mac let's get into what your something you wrote okay um because mac mac is not just a a, a pundit mac is not listener out there mac is not merely an armchair general of the uh of, of of these cyber wars and uh info wars if you will uh, being waged every day <laughs> mac is really uh someone who um you know is paid to know some things and write about them so you did write what did you you wrote something recently mac for uh a uh, well why don't you why don't you tell me what you did yeah okay so this was um a couple weeks ago now um but how much how much do you know about ar jonah augmented reality ar15 <laughs> which stands for assault rifle 15 because it was the 15th assault rifle um, ever ever made. Um, a little bit. I don't know. I played Pokemon Go briefly. Right. For uh, Back in the, whenever that summer was going on. Um, but really, effectively, nothing. Um, I th- yeah, and I think that's what probably most people's reaction with is. I don't have Snapchat, but, like, you know, like, you can, for Snapchat. Oh, the dancing hot dog. I love him. He's yeah. So, yeah. And, like, you dude. know, you can put, like, random you know things on your face and all this type of shit um mm-hmm. but like sure, yeah. and that's about as much as most people deal with ar but for all the big silicon valley types um ar is like the next big thing right and there's lots of money being in, invested into which it, into what does it stand reality, for augmented reality which yes. for in layman's terms it just means that like you can um you know through a headset or through like your phone or something you can tra- you can put like an image on top of like an image in the real world. Yeah, right? you can edit, yeah, like re- in real time do sort of digital video editing over any any range of things that you could, you know, train a camera on. Yeah, like Amazon for example, like you can if you're looking for a, a bar stool, you can 
use the bar stool and point your camera at your at your floor and it'll mm-hmm. pop up there like yeah. shit like that right but so this is it's a big industry that's like evolving and like there's been it's been really hard to find what like the real use case is for it like there's gaming like pokemon go and then there's like retail and all this other shit but it, no one's really sort of cracked the nut but a couple of weeks ago there was a huge no one's busted a nut yet someone one group just spent over 20 billion dollars on a contract for ar goggles and uh any guess like who that was yeah i'm gonna say it was the military you would be correct so the u.s <laughs> the u.s army signed a deal with microsoft buyer of their, last resort for their it's it's called a hololens which they've it's an ar headset that they use for like sort of enterprise business shit but this is a specially made one for the military and it does shit like it gives like kind of like in Call of Duty and stuff. You have a heads up display. Yeah. Um, Here, I'll read, like- I'll read your own words okay. uh, in uh, Business Insider, Insider Intelligence. The headsets expand on the HoloLens with a more rugged design and myriad features like real time mapping and extra sensors for night and thermal vision. So basically they're like. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're basically like in uh, Dragon Ball Z, like the little lenses that yeah. like Vegeta has. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. kind of sick, yeah. No, I mean they can they, they can tell like what if what you know what, what some random uh, opponent's power level is. Maybe I mean they can probably like tell if the, you're like. Yeah, I'm sure they run like some algorithm through it, but um, but yeah. So the why it was important other than like that that number like what does that number mean in context? Twenty two well, billion. So for example, right? This was like there's a, a bunch lot of, of industry analysts who like sort of come up with like how much the AR industry is worth generally and one estimate from like 2020 I think it was was like the entire industry was worth about 20 billion for everything and so this contract which is a 10-year contract for what's worth exceeded the entire year worth of value of AR for everything so it's like if you were looking for what the real use case was for ar it's not video games it's fucking dudes in the military using them to like track people in real time and yeah cut them down. i mean this is like what we we're talking about with boss dynamics it's just like what and this is something we're gonna gonna be talking about at length uh in a couple minutes here like most stuff that is like cool and like a, a big leap forward technologically was developed um basically as a weapon system or as a um, corollary to a weapon system for the military. Yeah. And it was a big deal. One, because like, um, so the big tech companies as they were, like there has been sort of a reticence to make contracts with the military because like a Google, for example, right? This was a couple of years ago. They were working on like an autonomous weapon system for the military. And there was a bunch of backlash from the workers there and from the public. It was called Project Maven. And like they put the ax on that. And there's other companies that have like committed to not working with the military. Microsoft, who like, you know, kind of has been like, you know, you know, has been out of the news for a little bit. They're willing to do it. Not only did they do this, but this was last year they signed the figure escapes me, but another multi-billion 480 dollar, million, I believe. Okay, 480 million so dollar billion. contract to essentially they're Do running for this thing, right? Oh, so, so this is different. Okay. So okay, that was that, something else? but the next one I was talking about was, mm. um, it, they, they got a contract. Jedi. 
Yeah, Jedi. Ten billion. Which is the um, joint enterprise defense infrastructure, which is the cloud computing infrastructure for the Pentagon. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So they're in it, right? They're they're, they're, they're oh they're, they're in. Yeah, they're, they're like married. They're knee deep in the, the game. Yeah. Military. And um, uh, yeah, and they're married, and they're being showered with a presence. They're like mm-hmm. they're effectively like Carmela Soprano. Um, you know, and the military is Tony and they're looking the other way at all the horrible shit that the, they're doing. Cause they get a new Porsche and, uh, yeah, like a new, some Sapphire earrings. Yeah. Um, probably a lot of Sapphire earrings. Yeah. You could buy money. quite a lot with $10 billion. Um, interesting. So yeah, I mean, yeah, this is an interesting little, uh, little, uh, milestone, I guess, for this sort of ongoing i mean i guess at times we talked about this i think in one of the last episodes but like eh, somewhat coy coquettish relationship that silicon valley has with the military yeah um because they don't want to admit right they're like oh you know this is gonna helping people ah like and it's just like but then like the military is just like yeah whenever you're done like right we'll buy it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. whenever you're done like playing around like we'll, we'll buy it yeah i mean it's interesting I mean, it is just a thing right where it's like with the jedi project at least it was amazon was the other competitor yeah. with, with microsoft and they were really butthurt that they didn't get it <laughs> like they they still have like a complaint logic on right, right right now but yeah there's definitely a divide between like um certain companies that have made a commitment not to work with the military and then others who i think microsoft is a good example of where you know, I think they would say that unlike other companies that view themselves as like sort of apart from a country, they're like, no, we're an American country and like we support yeah, like American the American company, yeah. uh, enterprise or whatever. So, Interesting. But the reason why they're I, the new Dutch East, they're like the new Dutch East India company or like, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is sort of like a thing that's, I think, reasserting itself is like these like chartered companies that are like, cause you know, like for instance, like the British East India company, like, India, when it became a British colony, was administered exclusively by the British East India Company. Really? For at least the the early decades of its colonial of the Raj, it was huh. not like directly a function of or like overseen formally by like the, the, the British state or British crown. It was like the company had a charter to essentially conduct all government and all yeah and like you know it's sort of an interesting thing i think it's like coming back into vogue somewhat of just like uh private companies with the imprimatur of state you know kind of just doing their own thing and taking on the role of a state in many ways yeah Um, well yeah and then the opposite of it is like i think the example would be google or maybe even apple where it's like they purposely view themselves not part of any nation and then you know they're almost like a nation themselves you know yeah exactly yeah um yeah very interesting so certainly (laughs) something to watch well okay well i'm glad you did that that little bit of a you know real-time research and it's pretty timely because um yeah i mean i guess so for for today's episode we want to do something a little bit different um and do a deep dive on a specific topic that sort of spans you know the last century and is sort of a um i mean I, I don't know, uh, looking into one of the, like the genesis of, I don't know, the world that we live in that has spawned this podcast and like, I don't know, um, that has like something that serves as a sort of institutional through line through the past, you know, several decades, um, 
and has spawned a lot of the technology that we are, are now all very familiar with or know nothing about right. quite yet. Um, so that's a very long-winded way of saying that we read a book. We read a book. We read a damn book. Was it worth it? <laughs> this is a big one too. Only don't don't be fooled, dear listener. This was not just a. Uh... Yeah, this was not this was not a coloring book. <laughs> um, this was not a chap. This was a this was a chapter book. It was a chapter book. Um, it was a good one though. Uh, so what, what was the book, Mac? So the book is called The Pentagon's Brain by what's what's the author's name? Is Annie it? Jacobson. Annie Jacobson, and it's all about DARPA, which is the U.S. military's. Um, how would you describe it? It's like their. Su- it's America's top secret military research agency. Yeah. Um, as go. the subhead of this book, um, says. So, so you may like for the reader, like, or sorry, listener, um. You may know DARPA, like the name rings a bell because every now and then, like on the internet or something, you'll hear about like some crazy, wacky, like sci-fi sort of like new technology that like the U.S. is working on. That's almost always DARPA that's like behind that. Like recently, like just in the last couple of weeks, like DARPA, there's a headline that they were working on like the new type of like encryption technology, right? And, and DARPA, like, so, and to, to be clear, DARPA stands for... Defense Advanced Research Programs Agency. And right. what they are, like like we said, is basically like a massive government-funded think tank, an R&D department that just does, you know, research of, of every conceivable sort um, in, or, in, in an effort to develop technology, but also sort of conceptual frameworks for, uh, you know, essentially the the imperial american state and yeah. and its defense and uh offense <laughs> you, is it fair well. to say that like they're like they're building the future and they kind of have like sort of a a, a blank check to like they're like the things they're that certainly they're working, trying the things that they're working on now for example right are things that you'll probably see or hear about 20 years from now you know it's like they're that yeah. far ahead of to like, tie something in we were talking about earlier they're probably the people who are behind um if you've been paying attention to this at all something has been briefly in the news um some like um uh, basically tacit admission by the government that ufos are real um and there was like a specific thing that you can look up called the tic tac um that was observed by some navy pilots in 2004 and more videos are coming out about it and there's basically been a recent there was a recent interview on i think like a and cnbc or not cnbc but nbc with like a former uh dod um official who's like was sort of responsible for tracking this type of thing and mm-hmm. he was basically he basically said like this is not we're almost certain that this weird flying ufo that defied all conceivable laws of physics um was not a fo- bit of foreign intelligence um meaning it was basically either aliens or you know some super advanced bit of uh, technology that you know some chapter of the government is or some uh you know agency is responsible for but uh, others don't even know what the fuck it is so Um, that's fucking crazy it is absolutely crazy and you should look into this because it's kind of cool and interesting um but basically there was this like some craft that was observed off the coast of california that was just like able to um you know it would look like a giant tic tac and it was caught on video just sort of like zipping from spot to spot with no visible propulsion of any kind like nothing could be seen on the thermal imaging to show that it was like burning any fuel and it was able to just like you know accelerate at insane speeds and stop instantly and then just disappear like 
poof, right. gone. Um, very interesting. Very weird. Strangely um, enough, like this author, Annie Jacobson, also wrote a book all about Area 51 and the. I'm sure she'd have a lot there. A lot to we say. Get her on the pod. We should. Yeah. I, damn. Why didn't we think about that? I'm sure, she would have been happy. <laughs> to come sure, she has nothing. Chill on your couch um, with, with Ray. But before before we get into it, Jonah, like so obviously for the next little while we're going to talk about DARPA and like about this book and all the crazy things about it but before we get into it like what's yeah. what were your just like what do you think after reading the book like what's your what do you think yeah I don't know I mean like I think we'll get into like sort of like our overall impressions and and takeaways at the end but I mean this the way this book sort of works is it's just like kind of a straight ahead history starting at the beginning of this the this formation of this agency in like the immediate wake of uh, World War II as a sort of separate entity that eventually evolved into the into ARPA, which then became mm-hmm. DARPA, and they just sort of trace it through the you know the end of World War II, the early days of um, uh, the Cold War and nuclear brinksmanship and Korea, Vietnam, you know, uh, and into you know the present day with the war on terror and so forth. I mean, in general, it was extremely. Uh, it was illuminating. I mean, in specific details that I had no idea about, but and also sort of, I guess, reaffirming of this notion that I don't know. I, I guess I want to save some takeaways for the end, but it was an, it was a very fascinating read, and especially I don't know the part that stuck with me the most was, which is I guess what we'll be getting into, Toot Sweet, is like how insane the nuclear age yeah. was at the in the early fifties and how how many just absolute lunatics were involved in some very high-level decision-making vis-a-vis thermonuclear war and why it might be just a good idea to to try it. (laughs) Yeah, let's get into it. The only thing I wanted to say before we start is just just that, like, uh, I I like the book a lot. And two, like, she based off of the like the title page and stuff like someone could might think that like oh maybe she was like a crack or like a nut job or stuff this is she's legit she's legit as hell very legit like interviewed hundreds of people for this like lots of like living and 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 like former people that are part of darpa like tons of resources it's a really meticulously documented book and like super well done and she's written two other like really very similarly in form like just like painstaking meticulous histories of Area 51, like you said, and Operation Paperclip, which features into this, which yeah. is basically the United States' absorption of Nazi Germany after the end of World War II, right. um, basically taking all of the like top brass of the Nazis of the Nazi state that um, we didn't like, you know, sacrifice at Nuremberg to just right. like help us fight the Soviets um, and administer, you know, West Germany. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of similarities, <laughs> and and like the it's especially cool to me that she did this because with DARPA especially so much of the material is classified and will has been classified and born classified so like yeah. she did a really good Foya job warrior. With like what she could but go ahead take it away man. yeah well okay so I guess we'll, we'll run through the book I mean I think like some of the meteor stuff is towards the is closer to now in a way but it is fascinating I mean the whole the way what, what DARPA began as the Rand Corporation which was essentially a private think tank um that was um you know still formed, around. huh still around yeah it is still yeah. around yeah exactly it, it, it that's true um a think tank that was formed in the wake of world war ii to sort of better integrate r&d um like research and development 
on behalf of the United States military and intelligence, like budding intelligence um, service, better coordinate like the technology that was being developed with the actual strategic and like tactical and geostrategic needs of the military, Um, as opposed to these being things that sort of crop up on their own and independently. Um, So, you know, what that obviously very quickly became in the wake of, of the war, which was ended very shortly after the first, you know, and only uses of nu- of the nuclear bomb on, you know, actual people, uh, was like, you know, sort of directing our, our end of the nuclear arms race with um, the Soviet Union, which I believe developed the nuclear bomb in 1950. Um, I thought it was even earlier than that. It may, I could be wrong. But. It may have been, but in any case, so it, it basically the, 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 the letter, you know, the, the object was to gather all of the smartest people, theoretical physicists, uh, scientists of every sort and description, many of whom were absolutely Nazis <laughs> and unrepentant ones at that, but they were clever little monkeys and sort of put them to work. Um, yeah doing at the same time like hard science research into yeah like the operation ivy for instance which created the thermonuke or rather the hydrogen bomb which Mm -hmm. really upped the stakes i mean the nuke we dropped on the nukes we dropped on japan were quite nasty but really like child's play compared to the nukes that were in play come even like the mid 50s it's hard to understate like the the difference between the when they did the hydrogen bomb and like those first changed everything in in nagasaki and hiroshima because they had a great uh i think she interviewed someone who had survived or like read like a documentation from him of when they tested the first um thermonuclear bomb that's right that's right thermonuclear bomb. yeah yeah and essentially they the way the man presents it is that it was him and a bunch of other people that were there doing a test out in like the pacific ocean and they we're pretty sure that it wasn't going to fuck up, but they w- couldn't be completely positive that, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah. light the Earth's atmosphere on fire, which would have yes. ended the world. And so there was <laughs> destroyed this, all life on Earth. The man that they're quoting, it stuck with me really hard. Whereas that he didn't have like glass because if you if you watch the thing explode, you would go blind because it, it's so bright. And so he didn't have glasses, so he was the only one looking the other direction towards yeah, had, yeah. the people that were looking out the window watching the the test. And the way he describes it was the the nuke went off uh, very far away, but the it was so bright that it lit the faces of the people in front of him so bright that he could see their bones and see them as yeah, like their skeletons. skeleton, literally like in like a cartoon where you get electrocuted. Yeah, and they were like because they were not sure whether or not it would light the earth's atmosphere on fire it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and there was this moment he explains of people being like clearly worried that they just fucking ruined the world and then when they realized that it's not going that bad then it was like this grin and like this like sort of realization that like oh yeah we did it change something well because that's an interesting point like a yeah i mean and i just want to understand like underscore like the absolute just like gibbering insanity of this like it's dressed up in like this very you know, it has the most legitimacy you could ever have is like coming straight from the top of the gov- of the United States government who just won World War II, da-da-da-da-da, all of the brightest minds. But they're literally doing something that they were not sure, like, this could literally end the world. It would right. ignite the Earth's atmosphere and just instantly end all life on Earth. And they're like, yeah, we'll do it because, uh, you know, uh, the, 
communism, man. It's right. just going to be be so bad. We couldn't drive our gigantic, uh, big, big cars down to the malt <laughs> shop. Um, so <laughs> but it, we got to do this. In any case, they did. And it was way more powerful than they, like their initial hydrogen bomb was like orders of magnitude bigger than they even expected it to be. Right. Um, truly just like a fucking, like a historic, like change timeline altering event yeah, um, I on mean, every it's uh, impossible to overstate it yeah, and it goes with that that like when i think she makes this point in the book too it's like it goes with why you had all these like scientists working with from Rand working on this too is that once that genie was out of the bottle right eventually yeah. the russians would have that and like other countries would get it too and it's like once that genie was out of the bottle everything changed because essentially you have the power to end the world at your yes. fingertips now and so because of that like if anyone has heard of like the the thing like game theory um Joni, you could probably go into it but it's like this is something that was developed by the rand corporation and it was developed really as a way to like think about this new paradigm of like what do we do when multiple countries now possess the ability to like end civilization at like a, 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 <laughs> yeah, mom, a, a moment's notice and it changed everything like it changed the way that we approach foreign policy it changed the way that we pr- pr- and, approach and technology. something she goes into in this war or rather in this book was that like the cold war couldn't have maybe even potentially been avoided had this like specific i mean I, and this is like a thing i guess we'll continue to return to is like the the my the scientists who were initially at rand which later became darpa which later became arpa um the advanced research project agency which mm-hmm. later became the defense advanced research project agency we're just like, you know, extremely smart people in uh, per- perhaps narrow terms um, had just like obscene amounts of influence in just right. like dictating essentially um, what the reality was um, of 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 the world and like the technical and scientific reality, but also therefore the political reality right. of dealing with another nation. And another thing that and the thing that you mentioned is game theory, which was uh, this notion of like, how do you how can you schematize and make quantifiable or like reproducible the notion of like, we have this adversary who we do not understand and who's, who's we cannot trust or count on. Like how can we know what they will do? Right. And like the, the classic thing that they sort of developed uh, some brand scientists was the prisoner's dilemma. It was right. like a riddle uh, in, in effect. Well, as a is, dude who went to did a poli sci degree, I did prisoner's dilemma for fucking years. But it sucks. <laughs> but go ahead. You're a prisoner to the prisoner's dilemma, and uh, and you know, I, not not to dwell on this too much, but basically, it's the notion that you and the way that it that it was is run down is that like you and your an accomplice were caught doing a crime, and you're both put in separate rooms. You have no way of communicating to each other, and you're told that if you rat on the other guy, you'll get you'll get your ten year sentence reduced to one year. Mm-hmm. Or reduce, sorry, reduced to five years. And the other guy is also told, hey, if you rat on, like, so Mac, if if I rat on Mac, I get my 10-year sentence that I'm facing. I only have to do five. And Mac is told the same thing. If I, if you rat on me, you only have to do five years. But if neither of us rat on either of us, we only do we both walk away free. Right. But if so, one of you rats on the other and doesn't rat, then you're fucked. Yes, exactly. So if I said, no, I'm not going to rat on Mac, but Matt, rat, Matt, fuck, Mac rats on me, 
I do 10 and Mac does five. So basically it's this notion of like, do you assume the worst of your other party in order to minim in order to accept a certain amount of damage, but avoid the maximum amount? Right. Or do you assume a sort of benevolence and selflessness on the other part that can allow both of you to have the ideal outcome? Right. And the ideal outcome is that you both don't rat on each other. Yeah. You right. no one rats and we both walk away scot free. But that's why it's a dilemma, right? Is because you don't know. You it can't. It almost know. never happens where you don't both rat on each other and it goes to the well point- no that's not true that's not i want i would push back on that because they did a lot of interesting research where it sort of it, it cleaved very neatly to people's sort of political leanings in this mm-hmm. in this is in like the early 50s conservatives and sort of defense hawks and people were much more likely to say yeah fuck it rat rat on this person because right. they're gonna rat on me like of course Whereas liberals, and this is not to say, oh, liberals are good, but it's just sort of, it, it's, you know, it, it's illustrative of a certain, of a certain like mindset shift right. because liberals were much more likely to say, no, don't rat, like stand on, take a certain principle that er, the other person is altruistic. It's basically like a boiled down version of, to boil it down is to say like, you know, are humans essentially good or bad? And you're, you're betting on that. You're like putting your right. chips on that. And why, just to drive it home though, like, because this is, a, it's like the pin, the, the seminal like argument of game theory, but why game theory was important was because essentially what you're doing, and I did this for years and like different like fucking, like, like just games that we'd play out is that you can map out all of your preferences as like a number on each person right and so whatever you have like a dilemma it's like everyone's preferences can be mathematically applied and then you there is like better and worse solutions to every problem but that with an assumption the tacit but the assumption there is that like you can know like and this is what she gets at in the book that's so critical which is that like basically like the the rand scientists who got got you know super into game theory they by their own application of it reason that you know, we we have to assume that the Soviet Union is going to do everything they can to nuke us. So we therefore have to do everything we can to be able to nuke them. Right. Which is essentially choosing to, you know, choosing the snitch option. Right. And that created the arms race that was like in the, which was like which made sort of inevitable the sort of nuclear buildup of the later Cold War and that we live with today that was not actually necessarily inevitable. Right. Um at the time because like the soviets were you know a like they did not have as much of a nuclear arsenal as we thought they did or were were led to believe they did with like the missile gap and everything and they were by many accounts like fucking terrified of of the americans and, and like not trying to get destroyed um early on so things could have gone differently had i think you know we not made this assumption based on like this like bleak game theory Right. Outcome. And why it's important, though, is that because that assumption was made and pretty much the entire Cold War philosophy can be traced back to this. Like if you've ever heard of the term mutually assured destruction, all of this is based off of like and it's instructive, right, that like, you know, what if you look at like, oh, what is like some nerd that's like writing analysis? Like, what do they actually mean? Well, sometimes it can shift entire foreign policy. And that's what happened. Well, in fact, it often does. I mean, unfortunately, as much as it is it painful to think about nerds are basically deciding everything for all of us? Yeah. Um, which, you know, I mean, I, 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 I that's a tough pill to swallow Fucking for me. Nerds. Yeah, dude, we need to, we need to rein, rein these nerds in. Um, certainly could have back in the fifties. In any case, 
Um, one last thing on the nuclear bomb point. I mean, just as an illustrative example, there were um, Edward Teller was one of the main nuclear scientists who the way and this is another key point that we'll come back to the way they sort of operated was like competition between agencies or between departments within RAND or, or DARPA. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't if you like two two groups are use are doing are given the same brief and whoever does it you know, comes up with a better solution, gets the funding and right. like gets the glory. So there was a lot of competition and like this constant idea of like upstaging and thinking bigger and all of this, which really drove, I mean, it's very American, you know, yeah. and it really drove the innovation. I mean, for better or for worse, often right. for worse in my opinion, but it really drove a lot of the innovation that did take place. Um, and one of the things that sort of came out of this like in, in, intra departmental pissing match arms race within an arms race was, the notion of a 10,000 milliton megaton nuke, um, which was like seriously funded. I mean, this was like, you know, proposed and had money put into it at, for a time. It did not get far as a notion. So I think as, it was, as, a, as an example, like the, the th- first thermonuclear bomb was one megaton, right? I or think it was like 10. That? 10? Okay, so a hundred t- fold still. Yes, or a thousand or that, fold. Yeah. Literally capable of destroying an entire continent in a single strike. Keep in mind that first one was the one they thought might light the Earth's atmosphere yeah. on fire. <laughs> I mean, it was just like insanity. Insane. Like, why would you even consider something that could destroy an entire continent? Like, right. how as if that is in any way a, a, an acceptable outcome under any circumstances. Right. In any case, I mean, just to underscore that, like, a lot of this stuff is just so unmoored from, like, what you would consider, like, basic, I don't know, human anything. I don't right. know. Why would you want... Anyway. Um, so... That's sort of where I don't know that that's the that's the the context in which DARPA, as the Rand Corporation, etc. I think we'll just refer to it as DARPA because it sure. sort of underwent some uh, reorganizations over the years, but it was effectively always the same entity. The philosophy was the same, which is that it's a group where their whole mission is like to kind of think outside, quote outside the box, and like do like the most innovative military with shit, infinite right? money to 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 do so yeah so i mean and the next basic proving ground for a lot of these like, wacky zany ideas are you about to go to vietnam i think we are yeah you want to take a, a quick break that's a good idea so uh before we uh ship out to vietnam uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with you and i think you'll be hearing some music right. that you've been hearing for many weeks now um a little riff cooked up by our good friend ethan goodstein shouts out to him he's a very uh, you know, adept guitar man. Yeah, um, shout out to Ethan. He's the man. All right. We'll see you in a bit. Cheers.
guess we're uh, we're in the shit. We're in Vietnam, um, and uh, you know these DARPA boys, these eggheads, um, they're really feeling the roots now, aren't they? Um, yeah. So basically, as you could probably imagine, when we got into our first big hot war since World War II, um, excluding Korea, which was which was a thing for sure, um, but was not really uh, affording the same opportunities um, uh, to uh, think big and disrupt <laughs> the war space um, as Vietnam did. To uh, move fast and break things, as it were. <laughs> indeed. Um, well, we certainly did a lot of both of those <laughs> in uh, poor fucking Vietnam. So... I don't know. In this book, this goes into just a myriad um, in, I mean, real, like, innovation. I mean, they're like, real innovations, massive technological and, like, progress. I mean, certainly, I mean, she mentions the introduction of the M16 rifle right. for all you gun nuts out there, which is, like, still the, you know, that's, hey, that's the granddaddy of, uh you know, all the rifles that are being used to air hole people in uh, supermarkets across the country today. So, you know, Thank DARPA for that. Yeah. You can, <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, yeah. Cause it was like the introduction of like a really efficient, lightweight, easy to use, uh, assault rifle. So, uh, yeah, that's actually another, I hadn't even thought of that. And a lot of other things too, like just like the, like the yeah, armor, the other milita- like the different like body armor that we had different, like sort of intelligence operations, different, um, a lot of the stuff that was like sort of, I guess, like between World War Two and then like what we think of of like the modern era of like military, Vietnam was like the first test bed for like, you know, you can. We talked about this off mic. It was like an area where like you could test out a lot of shit. Yeah, and this is something that I mean, again, like I thing to put a pin in because it's gonna come up again when we talk about like Afghanistan. Is like basically this just like long war with like no real. I mean, dude, like if you read into it. It's basically by like the late 60s, like 66, 67. It was kind of basically understood that there was in certain quarters that there was no winning this war. Like it was all about how do we not lose? Like how do we not have a catastrophic defeat or an embarrassing defeat? Yeah. And, you know, there were so many lies involved. I mean, this is like, this is not something that we need to really like drive home. But I think an interesting concept is like, how it provided this like open live fire test ground to just test out a bunch of interesting kooky new shit that we wanted to use. And like, I think the main, the stars of the show, as far as this goes, were, uh, napalm and agent orange. Um, chemical warfare, chemical warfare. Uh, you know, napalm is really, you know, widely understood. I mean, I, is sort of like the symbol of Vietnam, I think, just right. like liquid fire um, that was used in, you know, to bomb uh, the North pr- primarily into submission ineffectively, but also Agent Orange. I mean, this is the thing that sort of, I mean, chilled me. It's just, uh, and this is also, I guess, what I want to say is like the way that Dar- ARPA and DARPA was a, a te- it was technological and it was like, hard science but it was also conceptual and like right. and, and and like a think tank of like right. how do we win like what is like the what is the way to like win a war in in concept as right. opposed to in in specific practice and agent orange was a perfect um i guess like an entree to that in the sense that what it, it was a extremely toxic powerful herbicide that they planned to essentially spray over the entire southern 
half of the country to deny jungle foliage to like uh, insurgent gorillas by basically i mean like i just want to point out like uh charring and eradicating an entire like hundreds of thousands of square miles right. of pristine ancient jungle which is just like yeah like like chime in like i think yeah. one way she describes it like when she's talking through the history and like and stuff is the, so one is like the rand or darpa and all these people that are coming up with these policies like they're not military people you know what i mean they're like civilians they're like tasked yeah, with their like, eggheads with agent orange in particular i think they were told like i like come up with a, a way that we can like win the war and one of the things that they came up with was that like one of the like quote advantages that the vietnamese had was that their f- dense like forest foliage was cover that was like if you didn't have that, you would have a strategic advantage, like military advantage, not taking into consideration that that's like their food, their, their livelihood and all this. It was like, it was strictly looked at as like this problem, which was, this is cover problem to solve. Yeah. Yeah, Like a math problem. How do you solve that problem? You destroy the forest. Yeah. So that's agent. So agent orange came into effect. I mean, and, um, according, you know, Annie Jacobson documents this in, in the book. Um, it, it was brought to Kennedy initially and it was, he was specifically required to sign off on it because it was, um, according to, I forget who the actual quote was, but someone in one of the high ranking DARPA officials, it, it acknowledged that this is chemical warfare, which, okay. So yeah, uh, agent orange was a defoliant that, that, yeah, then like you said, just spray it over, just destroy the jungle. They'll have nowhere left to hide because basically the way Vietnam worked, there was the North Vietnamese regular army, which was on the north, you know, it was its own country effectively. And then there was huge, robust guerrilla networks of South Vietnamese who were just sympathetic to the North's cause and right. fought as guerrillas on their behalf um, as sort of their own entity in the South, like everywhere. So destroy the destroy the jungle. Um, and what we did was spray 19 million gallons of herbicide over the jungles of Vietnam and exposed more than two to five million Vietnamese directly to this extremely toxic chemical. I mean, right. and this is shit that obviously is has is going to have ramifications today and going on decades. I mean, well, part of the, you know, and it was yeah, part of the irony of all this. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, you're good. It's like it's at the same time that this was going on, right? There was some military official that in the book is quoted as going up to like a Rand social scientist and saying. Um, I want you to tell me how the Vietnamese tick well, because right, it's like exactly. I want to know like what inside their like thought process. And so there was like an effort on the flip side of this by like some DARPA people to really figure out like essentially how to win the hearts and minds and like win over the populace. But at the same time, they're trying to do that, but then also firebombing like their livelihood. And it's these two conflicting sort of approaches that, you know are kind of tragic well yes well it's tragic but it's so instructive because this is and that's an excellent point because and this is something that goes on and on and on because yes another thing like we were saying they're a conceptual sort of think tank as much as they're a um you know oh a, a, a weapons lab because they were also charged with like how do we win this war this right. new war like what do we do what should our ends be and like this is where counterinsurgency coin as it you know came to be known, uh, was born, and this is something anyone who's been alive for the last twenty years has probably heard a thing or two about um, in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. where it's all about winning hearts and minds. Um, you know what I mean? And like 
because this isn't a war where you can just have a decisive battlefield defeat and the other the other uh, group will the other side gives up like this is a where you need to go in to a place i mean because this is what you know in the cold war logic what we had to do was you know occupy places and prevent them from going communist um or you know show them democracy as it were in the in the later <laughs> in the later chapters in uh you know in the war on terror so it required a new conceptual framework which was the hearts and minds thing but like right. you said which was exactly something that you know it, she mentions in the book was a specific thing a specific framework that was developed by by DARPA like which was a new thing go in and yeah. like they there was also something called the strategic hamlet program where you like emptied villages and put them in these certain places um where that were like strategically defensible and supposedly um immune to infiltration by you know Viet Cong guerrillas and you would right. give them money to like build schools in this western fashion of course completely ignoring that this is not the united states this is a place that has its own uh byzantine and ancient culture and history and yeah. set of norms and practices that aren't just going to you know snap to your own like you know aren't going to start driving fucking cadillac eldorados around right. uh you know the rice patties and sending their kids to to the fucking cotillion dance but well, you know that's sort of a you know that's why it didn't work yeah i mean it's worth saying too right that like why this is different before because obviously like we didn't win the vietnam war and it's hard to imagine what winning that would be but in order to like quote win the vietnam war what would have had to happen was that you created like a mini united states in vietnam right and that was like the philosophy behind the or prop up yeah or at least prop up like a dictator who could you know who was like strong-armed enough to uh you know to crush the uh whatever you know or at least to, to advance our interests however it had to be done right but like you said it's different people, different culture, different heritage, different Vietnam is a country that's been occupied for almost 150 years at that point by different colonial powers. Yeah. I mean, China, you know, going back a really, really long time beyond, I mean, going back into like uh, ancient, almost ancient history. Yeah. Um, in any case, so, you know, we got our asses kicked in Vietnam. Um, but yeah, and I yeah, I want to like emphasize this because within DARPA there's like these conflicting <laughs> missions that are just it's right. like schizophrenic like okay, how can we win these people's hearts and minds? Like how can we get them to just see that we are the good guys? And at the same by, so we're we're saying that with and, and then the same, and then in the same breath being like, okay, what's the best way to literally wither every single leaf of every plant in this right. entire country, you know, destroy every crop so that the insurgents starve? And just like bomb and, you know, destroy these people into submission. I mean, and this is like exactly like, you know, this is going to continue to be a thing like where, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. Right. Um, and in a way, and, and, and it leads to us fucking failing and eating shit. Yeah. As, um, as a quick aside, like for the modern day and shit, like this isn't like just a DARPA thing. It's like a like in general, just like when you have this philosophy where it's like everything is like you're using that you're like you're making a solution for a problem, and like you're like like it has to be this like mathematical equation. Like we see that all the time today. Like even with like tech companies and shit, where it's like everyone's just trying to like solve the next thing, but you're not actually like having any human element of it. Like not everything is just a problem to be solved it's so easy like that you know what i mean well that's for sure i mean and certainly vietnam was not a problem we were going to solve with like good old american uh 
giving it the good old college try. Um, <laughs> and lo and behold, we did not. I mean, there's one other thing, though, that I, I think we wanted to touch on. Because while we did, you know, fall flat on our asses and eat shit and trip over our own dicks in Vietnam to massive, you know, embarrassment and failure, um, there were, like, at the same time, because w- taking advantage of this chaos, major like technological advancements and like, you know, valuable uh, ethics free uh, opportunities to do some important research. And one of the things was the Robert McNamara's, uh, who was the um, secretary of defense during for much of the Vietnam War, his notion of the electronic fence, which uh, you can tell me if this is right. Sure. It was like a system of sensors that we were going to drop over essentially the skinny part of the of the border between north and south vietnam and that would let us be able to intercept and disrupt the ho chi minh trail which was the means by which the north vietnamese sent supplies and people into the south um to continue the insurgency there and we were essentially going to drop a bunch of you know surveillance equipment to be able to know when and where they were crossing and like i guess bomb the shit out of them yeah um Spoiler alert, it didn't work, but right. it was interesting. I mean, well, go go ahead, Mac. Yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're completely right. Yeah, and it was basically the, the philosophy was just that, like, in the technology wasn't there yet, but the idea was that, like, you could have, you could mic up enough of the region that, like, you could essentially have know where everything was um, before the enemy could do anything. So it's like you essentially had, you know, a total mapped out area. And, like, they used the things, the sensors that they used, they're called field mics, um if anyone's played call of duty there's like a thing on there that's like a it's it's called that that's what that's where this comes from it's a uh no it's like when you press lb and rb together and like you get a little ability. <laughs> oh, word. but uh but no they would be like they would be little microphones essentially that were all the theory was that you could hook them all up and have them centralized and like battle command could like have a map of where everything was and like they you know we don't have to go into it but there was like a lot of people americans died trying to like put these sensors down in yeah. remote regions of vietnam with the idea that he was going to create this map and it, it didn't work and obviously but. it did not work but it's it, i think it, it it's shows how and i think again the fact that it shows how like it's the sort of germ of something that i think right was it we all live with now which is this notion of surveillance being and just like having data and eyes on everyone at all times is like the ultimate preemptive measure against you know whatever you know uh, insurgent group yeah and it in vietnam we the the technology like you said was not there but this was like not something that we were going to give up on as a concept right um and darpa being this thing that is like a sort of a you know not to i mean like it is like a deep state entity in the sense that it transcends administrations. It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. It's just like doing its thing forever. And it had like, you know, she goes into South, it goes, had ups and downs. Like it lost the confidence of the Pentagon or it lost the confidence of the executive branch over time. And it ebbed and flowed in its sort of influence, but it always remained. And its essential mission was always vindicated as like just pushing the boundaries of what's possible vis-a-vis, uh, you know, <laughs> defense and uh, and technology, and m- much of which in in Vietnam. I mean, what, she she gives plenty of examples of stuff that you know sort of began or was germinated in Vietnam that a became really important in our later wars and imperial endeavors, but also 
became like civilian uh, right. technology that we use and is like instrumental um, to our life today. I mean, something we elided earlier was um, ARPANET right. was the was the progenitor of the internet. Right. I mean, having a sort of means of command control where you could have you know the same data seamlessly accessed by different um you know players across a a theater of war or beyond that was uh something that was dreamed up by you know arpa scientists for specifically military purposes and that is quite literally why we have the internet today yeah we have the internet and also it's like a lot of things in sort of vietnam and post-vietnam era like and it relates to the mcnamara's fence but like the like GPS, for example, was a byproduct of this that we all use today. Was like, was GPS a, was that a Vietnam thing or was I, that a later thing? I think it was like between. If I'm correct, it was between Vietnam and the Gulf War because yeah, right. like this was all like it's all nascent technology, right? Like the, the right. internet at the time was not like like the concept of the internet when DARPA was working on it was like not like the way you think of it today, right? But it was sure, but but it was it, very it fundamental. Sure, but it created it. I mean, right. it created it as something that would inevitably grow, you know? I mean, I mean, like, for it, example, like, to, to, for, the, for the listener, like, if you have a microwave, that was something that DARPA invented back in, like, World War II times, yeah, I sure. think. Yeah, um, sure. It's a lot of things like that. So I guess, like, all right, let's, so to two, like, a sort of intermediary pause, like, I, I, I want to, I guess, make some some like larger um like i I don't know let's do like a like a powwow a little quick assessment because i think these are the points that i want to get at and the things i was like thinking about in this book which is that okay essentially darpa is this unaccountable i mean not unaccountable but it's like a sort of in its own space it's allowed to do its own thing and it's um just like the problem solving agency for, you know, our, uh, military and, uh, ad- um, adventures and foibles. Right. Um, and it created a lot of, you know, in, in the process of like doing a lot of shit that failed, created right. a lot of like genuinely critical, um, technology and a lot of advances that, you know, had serious applications outside of war as well as within war. Right. Um, that were sort of disconnected from any one strategic goal. Like it was like its own sort of uh, had its own reason for being as just the, as we acknowledged after the nuclear, after the, like sort of the nuclear age that like supremacy on the geopolitical scale is a question of techno of a technological edge. Right. Well, like to what I think what you were getting at when you, you, we're saying unaccountable, like these things that we've been talking about for the last few minutes, these weren't like on the New York times front page and shit, right? Like people did not know that this shit much existed of shit until still very recently. Yeah. You know, like they were very much more so than even like other agencies. Like she, she describes them as like born classified where it's like everything that DARPA did and still does classified immediately. Um, and so all this shit is like very secretive. It's very secretive, but in, and this is a critical point, is that it's secretive not only like to the public, but like, you know, within the government. Right. I mean, like, right. to an absurd degree, this shit is completely siloed off. Where, right. and this is like kind of what I was talking about with the UFO thing, where like, you know, 
there might be a branch of the a secret branch of the air force that's doing something that you know no one in the in the army or you know the the navy or even perhaps the executive branch certainly yeah. not congress i mean there's a lot of preference there's a lot of precedent for this type of like insane really r- strict need to know basis right um, and there's a lot of stuff that went on in Vietnam that's still classified today, you know, stuff that we don't know about, like things that they were getting into. I mean, they were, I, I do remember reading how there was a, I mean, Operation Phoenix was like a big program. I don't know how much DARPA was specifically involved in this. R- remind me what that was. Operation Phoenix was essentially the creation of like, basically creating like death squads of sorts, like sort of um, like... Navy steel seal style groups who could operate against the Viet Cong with like very in, in South Vietnam with very few restrictions um, and who were responsible for a lot of atrocities, um, yeah. many of which came out after the war. But like one of the things that was associated with this was like psyop combat where they had, you know, I think probably DARPA um, sociologists who spoke Vietnamese and understood Vietnamese. And some of this she goes into in the book. Um, who understood like Vietnamese customs and they understood they used uh, an an interpretation of like the Vietnamese concept of the dead and the afterlife Mm. and they would put um, in the jungle like uh, speakers that would and then have like Vietnamese voice actors pretend to be like ghosts and like cry out and wail and say like you know, we are like the dead who were unburied and like you're wreaking this on us as a, as a, or like wreaking this havoc on our country by resisting stuff like that, which was apparently quite ineffective because like, you know, uh, people are superstitious, but also like soldiers know that they're fighting and aren't stupid. Sure. Um, but in any case, I mean, I guess all of that's to say that this notion that like the United States government is one entity and that like anything the United States is up to or like anything that comes out as having been a um, a, a tactic or, or a thing that we did is like was uh you know a, like we all huddled up you know the the president Congress right. uh, DOD everyone CIA all huddled up and said all right team let's do it no absolutely there was a lot of internal secrecy and a lot of internal rivalry right too it was just like what we were talking about with how they would sort of pit different groups against or like different uh teams against each other yeah, i mean you think they would have told trump if there was actually aliens perhaps not yeah <laughs> i mean i expect quite not and like there, i don't know i mean this is like a, this is a whole thing to sort of get your arms around but should um, we should we fast forward in time a little bit yeah let's go forward in time i'm um, having made those points i mean so let's so a lot of stuff happened in the interim period between vietnam and the 90s um i mean one of the main things they also touch on this book and that she touches on is star wars which sure, was ronald right. reagan's attempt to uh ronald reagan who was a trump of his day got in and got into uh you know the oval office and was sort of miffed at the notion that oh like there's no way if nukes get launched that we can defend ourselves right which was just absolutely correct that was just the state of affairs and you know Certainly through the rest of the Cold War and probably to, I mean, certainly to this day, there is no effective, like, intercontinental ballistic missile defense system. Well, it's also like, for what it's worth, it's like baked in to the philosophy of like the mutually yes, assured destruction, right? right? Well, the only reason that works is because there's not a way to like stop it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the mutually assured part. Well, yeah. So, and this is another level. I mean, like, 
in which DARPA is just like solving problems or attempting to in the near term and creating a lot more in the medium to or in the, you know, I mean, they're they're narrowly myopically solving technical problems and right. creating like much more dangerous uh, geopolitical problems in the process because this was what was became known as Star Wars, which was this massive, insanely expensive program that DARPA was responsible for of, you know, creating a gigantic like space based uh, array of lasers that would be able to shoot down ballistic missiles right. um, if the United if the Soviet Union were to launch them at us. In reality, the technology was never there. It was never possible. It was just like a complete farce, essentially. But what it did do was spook the fucking Soviets into thinking like, oh, all of a sudden, the Americans may have a way to defend themselves against our nukes. And have a first strike. And have a first strike capability. So this is just like, you know, what the effect of it was to bring us uh, closer to actual thermonuclear war than we had been since the 1950s. Right. Um in part because Reagan was just sort of a dumb dumb and like bellicose and in, in his in his treatment of the Soviets who had, by the 80s were basically fucked. I mean, right. They were in steep decline. But also because like, you know, this is just like how I mean, again, this is something we've been harping on a bit. Solving like a specific technical issue without a a, lar- a grander view of like what is, what is being achieved by it and if it's wise is often worse than doing nothing or worse than right. leaving it on the table. Um, okay. But so that's the eighties. Yeah. Star Wars didn't pan out. Um, Soviet union fell. Soviet union falls and then the world changes, right? Cold war's over. Cold war's over. We need, you know, we won. It's the end of history. I mean, I think everyone in the United States, we're really feeling our oats. Right. Like <laughs> we, we did it. Um, you know, uh, you know, sort of market democracy, free markets, capitalism have won the day and are seemingly, there's really no alternative um, that's viable. And um, so nonetheless, like we need something to do, right? Like, you know, the United States, we don't really do well with um, sitting in in quiet reflection. Um, So, you know, before long in the 1991, we have the Gulf War crop up, um, and I want to I want to mention something that she that she talks about in this book, which was that like there was a huge sort of intense focus on um, simulating combat as a right. as a training thing, and this is like sort of what um, you were talking about a bit with AR and VR. I mean, right. this is sort of where a lot of that begins because we had a lot of uh, you know, anxiety around the fact that like, how can we prepare for, especially before the fall of the Soviet Union, like a massive land war with the Soviets right. without, uh, you know, anything comparable to that, uh, being able to be done in physical space. Right. So what we did was we created, uh, like a painstaking VR and what, what was known as SimNet um, at the time like simulated reality where we could do war games like essentially creating mmorpgs right no pretty much yeah doesn't she say in the book that like basically they did an early version of world of warcraft i don't remember that but that makes sense she literally does say that (laughs) basically what we created was again if you want to talk about you know uh, who is the real driver of, of of technological advancement i mean it's 
Nerds. It's nerds. And nerds. it's nerds who work for uh, the fucking government. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not like uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs for the most part. Because they literally created uh, MMOs. Like right. basically a, a, a digital space that everyone can get, can load into. Um, sorry, a digital space everyone can sort of load into simultaneously and all take part in. Right. And if I shoot you, you die. Um, even though you don't have to be like, you know, in the same room as me. I yeah, mean, and it helps that like before the the Gulf War too. It's like we did have like early computers then, so it's you could simulate all this shit out for the first time, right? Which made it way more accurate to be able to predict. Like you could, you really could run out like what all the possibilities were for a certain like battle. You know? Yes, I mean? and so like this was sort of the high watermark of ARPA, DARPA, of of this sort of American techno military state. Um, this was Elvis in like the white jumpsuit, like <laughs> yes. pri- in their prime. You know? We were gyrating and saying, oh, humma, humma, humma. <laughs> we were, we were really feeling our fucking oats, like I said. Um, and basically what that redounded to was the Gulf War, which I mean, is a fascinating little piece of history that I is, I mean, so to give a broad overview, Saddam Hussein in Iraq invades Kuwait for their oil. We, we basically, I mean, for for reference, gave every intimation. This is George H. W. Bush right. um, into um, Bill Clinton later. Gave them every intimation that like you're good. Uh, if you want, if you need to invade Kuwait, like that's on you. Bearing in mind that like Saddam Hussein is someone that we built up in the '80s um, during the Iraq Iran, Iran War. Yeah, we gave him. We built up the Ba'athist state in uh, in Iraq to co- to counter Iran, and you know, uh, abetted and actively fomented one of the deadliest wars of the 20th century, which was the Iran-Iraq War that took place for basically the entire 80s and saw like massive atrocities, like trench warfare, like World War One, gas attacks, chemical shit, chemical yeah. shit, child soldiers, all the worst shit. But so we Saddam is our creation and we're basically telling him, hey, dude, if you need to invade Kuwait, go ahead and do it. Um, He does it. And then we instantly start demonizing him, you know, in the press. And before long, the United States is involved in Operation Operation Desert Shield. For what's worth, listener, I don't know that part of it. Like, I know this this is true. I mean, I which is just that Kuwait invaded and then we uh, sure. But um, counterattacked. But. That is, I, I feel comfortable standing by the, those uh, those assertions that I've made. And uh, perhaps we can provide some links in the show notes if uh, people want to do some of their own research. Um, but before long, you know, Saddam invades. The United States gets in there and, you know, we're, we're kicking ass. We're fucking destroying <laughs> uh, critical infrastructure and having tank battles, for instance, where because of our, you know, shiny equipment, including right. like thermal imaging goggles, we're able to, you know, blow away whole tank divisions of the Iraqi army who can't see through like sand and smoke um, without losing a single tank. The way the legend goes was that the war was ended in less than a month. It was. Yeah. And, and effectively it was. Um, so basically it's one of the most, and you know, there are several atrocities that take place. Famously the highway of death where like thousands of a retreating routed Iraqi soldiers are like streaming back on the main highway to Baghdad in, you know, minivans and, and tanks and trucks and whatever they can, you know, climb onto. And we using a 
sort of a, a show of force, just bomb the shit out of it, killing like, you know, thousands of fleeing soldiers. And fine, you know, that's war. Uh, you know, it's gross if you want to, if you want to take that tack, but uh, effectively what everyone takes away from this war is that like the United States is unbeatable because right. bear in mind also Saddam Hussein had like, was like the fourth most powerful military that's, in the that's world. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It was like, if you can contrast it with like Vietnam, for example, it was really different because one, it was one of the largest militaries in the world is very modern military. Yeah. Like these, they were fighting modern. It was like how you would stage, we were talking about, they would do the, the war games it was exactly how you would stage a war game. Whereas like in Vietnam, you can't stage that. It was like people like guerrilla fighting and all that type of shit. But this was like, it was the perfectly like perfect, all the right simulations could have predicted this. And when you have that sort of framework with all the DARPA technology, the U S like kicks ass. Yeah. And we, and you know, we obliterated the Iraqis there rather the Iraqi government under Saddam and the war was over immediately. And I, I'd be remiss, like, you know, this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but it's, it's, I, it's always, I find it's fascinating and it's really appropriate, I think, actually, within the context of this book in this discussion of, you know, uh, technological advancement, uh, you know, as a, as a sort of sine qua non of the mm. American. Uh, See, Jonah keeps letting these, I like, know, we, I we don't bring it up, but every now and then he gets one of those goodies in. I know, I can't help myself. Sine, sine qua non is, is, I think it's Latin for, like, um, you know, uh, like a must, a must have, like this condition must obtain, like, a, a you know, a first principle, if you will. Um, but basically, you know, we had, like, this absolute technological supremacy, and, you know, there's a French philosopher and uh, social theorist John Jean Baudrillard who said very polemically and at the time that the Gulf War did not take place. Um, rather, it was sort of like a constructed war of the, the actual bombs and the guns all went off, but it wasn't a war so much as like a staged, managed, bilateral atrocity. I mean, bearing in mind, like, there was no significant combat uh, in which the outcome was ever in any doubt. Um, and his, and there was also uh, like the media coverage of the Gulf war was like the first war where you had like CNN. CNN yes, right. yeah. exactly. Like 24 seven uh, cable news doing countdowns of like countdown to the invasion. And right. you have cameras like every, every there with, with the troops. And unlike Vietnam, like everything was going swimmingly. Right. Um, so basically what Baudrillard says is that like it wasn't it cannot be really considered a war because there was no actual conflict. And importantly, I mean, there was death and violence, but it was never contested. And importantly, the winners, i.e., you know, the United States and coalition forces did not really win. We didn't really attain or achieve anything. And famous and importantly, Saddam Hussein did not lose. I mean, a lot of people got killed. Um, I mean, a relatively small number if you compared to any like sure. uh, you know other recent or uh, contemporary conflicts. But Saddam Hussein remained in power in 1991. There was a right after the war a major uprising against his rule that he crushed easily, yeah. um, and nothing really changed. And you know, uh, it, effectively, it was a sort of thing that the United States, with and, and like you mentioned before, having had all of this like. Um, vr preparation it's like they they sort of did as a stage managed 
perfectly contained phenomenon for public consumption as a means of like proving our 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 like approach to the world and to military right. and geo geopolitical concerns uh which was undergirded by you know our our research and 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 DARPA um like was 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 validated and uh could be proven to work yeah in a way it almost like reminds me of like when you hear of like the like the really older european wars where it's like they it was like the gentleman's war almost where it's like people lined up and like they yeah. did like the the war part but like not a lot of people would die and like someone would just like there would be an overwhelming force really, and someone yeah. would give them the sword and then the person would go back to like their place or whatever yeah yeah it so, was like a sort of gentlemanly yeah. chivalrous war i mean in a way it was not to, not to say that because there's a lot of iraqis and some americans that died but like you know, no, but in a way you're right because it was like not it was certainly a break from the total war of World War II right. or like the knockdown drag out fights of Vietnam. Right. I mean, it was like everything sort of was over and done with in a month. Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure like out of the there were like less than 500 certainly less than 500 Americans who died. Yeah. The overwhelming majority died in accidents or right. from friendly fire. Right. It was just like a non-event. Um <laughs> and uh it's just um it's just really fascinating to me in the context of this because it's just like you know us proving that uh our our, our i don't know it, it just seemed like a sort of a demonstration like a like a um like a tech demonstration like yeah. you know like you know like Steve Jobs like striding onto the stage right. and showing you the new iPhone i mean that's right. like what the golf war kind of was like that's true yeah um and I uh I I think it's interesting because it shows it was the last time that that really worked. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because between obviously there was other conflicts, but in between, but between the Gulf War and then say the next big thing, which obviously was the Second Iraq War or the Iraq War that we yeah. grew up with, in between that time, right after, if you run with the thesis that America and DARPA had established the supremacy, there is a few years there in the late '90s where like shit got really weird with DARPA where like they started well, yeah, doing yeah. Tell like me, tell me really some stuff weird they were up shit. To. So like this is this is the time where you started having like people coming on and like uh, doing research on how to essentially make people not have any fear to manipulate their biology to where they didn't have like a, as much pain reaction. They were, yes. they were looking at like lizards and trying to see if they could like sort of like get people to regenerate arms the same way that lizards did. Like really weird shit, right? Like during this time. I mean, yeah, like, I'd be, yeah, I mean, you could, I, I'd be curious, like, I mean, he, I, I have this quote, okay, this was the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, I mean, w with precisely what you were just saying, with, like, after, I mean, and okay, if I wanted to make a larger point, um, she sort of proposes that after um, the Gulf War, like, the 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 sort of emphasis became on the actual soldier, like, right. you know, it's not just like about stratagems and weapons and like systems and and combat doctrine, but like the physical weakness of the potential soldier, which I think is also perfect because this was like communism has failed, the Cold War failed, capitalism won, and we're just like becoming this like hyper atomized individual self of self obsessed like you know right. it's like it's the it's the time of like self actualization the the triumph of the individual and you know in the very same time that we're sort of getting into like 
how can like the individual soldier be improved? Um, yeah, they're a problem to be solved is the human limitations of the body. And so basically what we did, <laughs> well, what happened was DARPA at this point, which was, you know, had really, you know, cemented itself as, uh, you know, the, tr the, the Pentagon's brain, as the title of this book says, right. um, gets a new uh, kind of colorful character who was this dude, um, Goldblatt, Michael ah. Goldblatt, who... I, and this is also perfect. I mean, dude, this is all of this is just so <laughs> 90s. It's like amazing. Um, this guy came to DARPA and became like one of the most influential people there in, uh, you know, this new type of like a lot of the stuff we're talking about, you know, on the show of like neural networks and, right. uh, you know, the the sort of the soldier who cannot who doesn't have to sleep and who doesn't heal doesn't feel pain. And uh, guess where he guess where he came from, like where his background was tell me uh went uh mcdonald's <laughs> he was like a a, oh, a venture capitalist <laughs> and um biologist who invented like a self-sterilizing packaging for oh, mcdonald's right. I remember this. yeah 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 um and he was the guy who sort of pitched to darpa and this is a quote um goldbat believed that the defense sciences could demonstrate that and then quoting Goldblatt, the next frontier was inside our own selves. In this way, at DARPA, Goldblatt became a pioneer in military-based transhumanism. Love One it. of the most chilling, love <laughs> chilling, love that. <laughs> chilling uh, connect rows of words I've ever read. Resuming quote, the notion that man can and will alter the human condition fundamentally by augmenting humans with machines and other means right. for war. So... Cyborgs, essentially. Cyborgs, essentially. I mean, and so this is where, you know, we're just like riffing, we're having fun, and it's all about, you know, yeah, creating cyborgs because, like, basically we're doing a victory lap in the yeah. in the 90s after the Gulf War. Um, and <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, it all, it all is a little perfect. I mean, there's a lot of, like, specific weird stuff that we can go into, uh, like the rise of prosthetics and stuff like, like this. At this exoskeletons, time. exoskeletons, which they were working with. And again, I want to point out, like, a lot of this stuff does have real-world applications that are helpful sure. to people, um, but it's all, like, sort of poisoned at the well because, you know, A, it's all, like, coming from this first principle of, right. like, you know, everything is, uh, is, is for, I don't know, domination and, you know, always a, a military application first. Yeah, well to that it was around the same time too that like darpa started actually being known by the public and it's like you were talking about prosthetic limbs and stuff like that like they kind of would get the support of the public because they would give demonstrations of like of course, showing yeah. a soldier being able to use his arm again for example or something like that and like it would be a big like press release or whatever but then like several years down the line that soldier never actually got to use that like it was just there for like the well, they could because they could never fucking afford it yeah they you know it's it, not like and this shit's being given out and that wasn't the real purpose for it you know of what course I mean? yeah that's like they darpa always has two things right it's the way you see it and the way they present it and what their real intentions are right and so okay like i mean we've been going we're gonna go long on this episode i think but like it's it's funny to me because you know, we're cresting and then, you know, comes 9-11, then comes uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And, right. you know, I think you have a reproduction of the Vietnam sort of syndrome where these these wars become certainly, I mean, Af Iraq definitely 
to a certain degree, but Afghanistan primarily is just like unending. And and it's funny that we're talking about this now because, you know, it's a, a April 20th, 2021. Biden has recently announced his the full withdrawal from right. Afghanistan to the chagrin of a lot of, you know, uh, foreign policy blob people. Granted, you know, it's been made clear that like we're going to leave behind CIA contractors and spec ops and, you know, our trained uh, militias and so forth. So we never really go out of anywhere. But like, you know, there's not going to be grunts in Afghanistan uh, for much longer. Uh, apparently, they're pulling out finally by uh, September 11th, 2021. Right. Which is a very significant uh, date and kind of funny um, that you would like choose like a like a show date. Yeah. Um, but in any weird. case, um, you know, there's all these. I mean, DARPA is continuing to develop these technologies and it's honestly probably hitting a bit of a J curve in terms of like what is being achieved right. technologically speaking. But at the same time, and like this is the thing, like I guess uh, like a, a thesis of ours is that like DARPA is simultaneously like insanely effective and successful and also a total failure because, right. you know, all of this like high tech gadgetry and conceptual warfare that it that it has developed is a plot when it's applied. It's a it's a failure. Yeah. And well. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you were saying before that like the Gulf War was like the time where we got to strut our stuff, when the Iraq War, as we know it, came, it was so different because it was essentially like a replay of, of Vietnam and all these like high tech sort of like things that we were using no longer work as well in that sort of environment. Yeah, well, Iraq War Two, we basically we, we had the same thing. We blew in. We we toppled Saddam pretty much instantly and you know declared victory famously and then it became time to nation build and you know a la vietnam win hearts and minds while also you know shooting and killing and (laughs) you know doing our thing and again it's just like we're right back to vietnam well that's that's the thing right it's like we mentioned before that like the counterinsurgency idea of like winning hearts and minds was something that came up in vietnam that was something that was deployed again in the Iraq war. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly like it was in Vietnam. And another thing that was just like it was in Vietnam was we talked about McNamara's like electronic fence yeah. a little bit and how that failed. Well, we re-implemented that again in Iraq and it was called. Well, are you talking about, it was called, it was called combat zones that see and essentially what they were doing was they had a plan that was like you use CTV cameras, microphones, um, license plate readers, and early facial recognition at the time to essentially map out all of Iraq in their combat zones and then use early predictive analytics to like see where like new sort of conflicts would arise yeah like determine like what neighborhoods are potential insert because you know what happened in iraq is like we toppled the 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 baathist the saddam-led government right um made a horrible fucking blunder by dissolving the military which um, became isis yeah which effectively they all just then became isis because you took a bunch of people with you know guns and military experience um and you know a, a cohesive like you know, I like identity as a military uh, uh, entity and just told them like, uh, you don't get a paycheck anymore. Go fuck yourself. Right. Um, that was debothification. Um, and we essentially like, yeah, we took all this technology, like these sort of 
the 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 second coming of McNamara's uh, surveillance uh, apparatus and applied it to Iraq. Um, And, you know, like we were saying, like a lot of this is all stuff that, you know, Mac just rattled off a bunch of a big list of 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 things um, that we first deployed in, you know, Iraq in 2003, four, five, six and and beyond facial recognition, um, you know, license plate readers, stuff like this. And it's all stuff that's biometric IDs. And this is all stuff that I bet if you're listening to this is pretty familiar to you now. And like, you know, what what is what is the takeaway? What's the upshot of that? It's like. Yeah, I mean, this is like a big thing that is like related to this whole book, right? Is that all this technology that's being made and like we can see this with like early facial recognition and license plate readers and like AI algorithms to determine like predictive shit in like the Iraq war. Where does all that go? We're seeing it right now at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all of this stuff ends up if if Iraq and Vietnam were the test bed, they don't just stop there. We're witnessing that in our daily lives now. Yeah, I mean, to like make a sort of grim analogy, it's like, you know, we test drugs and products on animals and before we bring them to the market for human consumption. Right. And I think that's like how, you know, we test a lot of these technologies on these subject, you know, occupied populations who honestly people don't give a shit about. Right. Um, and see how they work and refine them. And then, you know, ultimately... I think you can make a case that like the same reason we're doing these things abroad in, in in the very broadest sense is the same reason that, you know, we do the type of the type of repression that you see uh, at home. Like, right. be it, you know, to, to peg things to the news like Georgia voter suppression sure. laws or, you know, the really out of out of hand police state that is like killing people on mass and right and so and preventing protest i mean these are things are effectively part yeah. and parcel of uh you know two arms of the same body that uh, exists to preserve the status quo right i you mean like I mean? a thing near and dear to like the reason i got into journalism in high school right was like after the snowden revelations of like the nsa surveillance system and they go into this in the book about like that the origins of that was in Iraq made by DARPA, right? And like we talk about Clearview AI a lot on this. Yeah, we talk about like sure a do. lot of other Friend like of the show. Palantir, which like does a lot of like predictive policing in the US. Like that's a direct uh like birthplace of like the type of predictive analytics they were doing in Iraq. And yeah, I mean like you were saying it kind of goes into like the end of the cold war thing where we're always looking for the thing to be attacking or to be like suppressing and like to define ourselves against here. kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we saw that like, well now maybe it's, it's controversial, but you saw it with like the Capitol Hill riot and shit too. It's like, there's always going to be some sort of like bad group that like you can use the technology against. Yeah. Know? I mean, yes. I mean, it's not always, it is that, I mean, I think there's a certain, definite trend is that there's always and we need an external enemy to define ourselves against that's why right. after the cold war we were sort of listless we did this we did gulf war and then we did the war on terror and like you know now the war on terror is sort of sputtering out um and now it's china is like the new uh ad- adversary um that justifies you know obviously massive fucking expenditures i mean you know, Biden, for all he's been touted for his as being FDR or whatnot, also significantly increased the Pentagon budget. Right. You know, this stuff does just 
is is absolutely carries on under its own inertia and i think the critical point like you said and like you know i think we both said now is that you know certain places like vietnam like afghanistan like iraq serve as laboratories for this technology that ultimately you know yeah it does come home and is used in 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 these like less savory ways i mean in very obvious fashion when you see tanks and mraps and fucking apcs rolling down the streets you know every time that there's like a, a a candlelight vigil over this or that thing um but in less in less you know obvious and overt ways too i mean certainly you know all sorts of tech and uh surveillance technology but um i don't know i, I and so i don't know what you know where does where does that sort of leave us i mean I, I mean i guess so so darpa i mean final thoughts i guess i mean right. not on on darpa as an agency i mean because again at the same time like like you said there's all this medical and applications and and stuff but it's all like in the wake of effectively the the war machine right i mean i don't know where like where do we i don't know i'm curious where do we stand now and like what like what what should we make of of this (laughs) of this organization i mean mean, well that's the thing right is like there's always like two parts of it right where it's like on the one hand we have like the internet and we have like gps and all these things that come from darpa but at the other hand you also have like all of the really fucked up surveillance shit that we have too and like it's hard to say man because it's like this is something that like is clearly just like going on and is like very secretive and you know without like this great book like we wouldn't even know the half of it but um yeah yeah i mean i think i guess like the largest takeaway for me is that just like well a i want to make a couple points like primarily i think this book goes a long way in you know rebutting this notion that you know me as a leftist you know as a a socialist as is how i kind of identify this pushing back against this hegemonic notion that like were it not for low taxes and and low regulation and you know like a certain business friendly uh economic system you wouldn't have any innovation like where oh where would we where would all this stuff that we enjoy come from like right. you know where would my iphone come from that i you know i harp against the system but i still use it and right. it's just like much of this stuff is not from is not being created by like entrepreneurs like these major breakthroughs are 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 state directed enterprises that then you know become available to the public market and absolutely you know certain private enterprises you know adapt and uh, and um you know dress them for the consumer market sure but like you know the internet gps radar you know all of these just like things that define uh, our experience today are were absolutely you know created at the behest of the state in response to a specific need. And for me, it shows that like, we are actually kind of like capable of anything. Like we could solve practically any problem (laughs) if with, if we directed our like immense resources at it. I mean, you know, there's all this stuff in this book of like, you know, these harebrained schemes to like, you know, 
you know, like train animals to, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, like bees that can detect bombs. And yeah, shit, right? yeah, yeah. Or like dolphins and manatees that are going to like go, you know, uh, disar- like, yeah, sniff out land, uh, mines and stuff like this. I mean, there's so and there's so much of it fails and is like millions and billions of dollars are wasted on it. And it just goes to show that, like, the question is not like our capacity, but it's absolutely our priorities. Right. And in a way, it's sort of inspiring and, and affirming to me that, you know, the government, which is so often decried, it's like, oh, it's so, you know, it's so inept. It's so it's so wasteful is right. actually like capable of, of, of massive, uh, you know, progress if only its uh, priorities were like set democratically and right. not you know i don't know by like these fucking freaks and geeks in the in 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 darpa <laughs> yeah i mean it goes like to our takeaway in the last episode too where it's like it's really like it's this is only like the future is out and fucked up if you have all this happening under our the the priorities that we have right now and like, yes. the values that we have right now but if you were to shift those a little bit and use all the resources that we have, like you could do really cool, interesting shit. Absolutely. You know? Like, yeah. I mean, and that's like, yeah. So that's what I, I guess the takeaway from this book is sort of for me. And then like, it, it, it's funny that it starts in like the nuclear age, which right. is like sort of the beginning of this, like, and I think like the sort of atom and the, and the is sort of a perfect metaphor for this because it's like, it's on one hand, it's like, it, it is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, a means of like um ceaseless clean energy you know like right. splitting the atom and can be used to just power you know you know uh, anything that we want to do right um and but it can also be used to destroy the world right and i think it's that's true. like yeah, that is metaphorically the case for pretty much all of uh you know the you know various and sundry uh uh scientific endeavors that are we have ongoing at any one time and it's just a fucking shame that it's all being used you know to you know create these stupid (laughs) weapon systems and line the pockets of you know people in northern virginia who work for uh you know whatever uh northrop grumman and lockheed martin i mean it could could be totally different so in a way like i'm left with a, a bittersweet taste in my mouth yeah i i a hundred percent agree i mean that's i couldn't have said it better i, I agree with all that yeah sure. so fuck man um this is a big ass book and we barely scratched the surface of its contents but definitely recommend if you guys are interested yeah we you, i recommend this book and um i don't know i guess we'll probably we'll we'll talk more about you know things that fit into this schematic of uh you know the 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 tech- technological military state and you know it's 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 applications for good and ill right. i think that would be you know maybe something to to return to don't you say 100 percent for sure cool um well damn i mean i guess we've gone pretty long so we could probably leave it there for today yeah i think that was this is good though i like this absolutely well um you know uh do your own research don't take our word for anything <laughs> um but uh definitely tune back in next time yeah check us out um like and subscribe like and subscribe uh do whatever you gotta do um all right dude see you next time let's do it peace and love everyone see ya ciao